Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Your host here, Lisa Tarmati. Great to have you with me again. And before we head over to this week's exciting guest, just want to remind you we have launched our premium membership for our patron program for the podcast. So if you are loving the content, if you're enjoying it, if you're finding benefit in it, and you want to help us keep getting this good content out to people, um, then we would love your support and we would love to give you some amazing premium membership benefits as well. Head on over to patron.lisatarmity.com that's p-a-t-r-o-n patron.lisatarmity.com and join our exclusive membership club it's only a couple of dollars a month it's really um, nothing major but what it does is it helps us make this content possible as you can imagine five and a half years of doing this for love uh, we need a little bit of help to keep this going if we want to be able to get world-leading experts and continue to deliver such amazing content so if you can join us we'd be really really appreciative of it head over to patron.lisatarmity.com and a reminder too if you are wanting help with your health if you're wanting to up your performance if you're a runner and you're wanting to optimize your running um, then please check out our Programs. We have our Running Hot Coaching Program, which is a package deal that we have where we make a personalized, customized program for your next event, uh, whether that's a marathon or a 5K, it doesn't really matter, or a 100 miler, we're, we're up for that and we're actually programming people for even much, much bigger distances than that. So if you want to come and join us over there, we'd love to see you at runninghotcoaching.com. That's personalized, customized running training programs that will include everything from your strength program, your mobility work, your run sessions, your nutrition, your mindset, all of those sort of great aspects. You get a one-on-one session with me, you get video analysis of how are you running and how can we improve your actual form, plus your customized plan. And if you want ongoing support, then that's available as well. So check that out at runninghotcoaching.com. We also have our epigenetics program, which is all about uh, testing your genes, understanding your genetics, and how to optimize those genetics. So eliminating all the trial and error so that you can understand how do you live your best life with the genes that you've been given, what is the optimal environment for those genes. So right food, the right exercise, the right timings of the day, what your dominant hormones are, what social environments will energize you, what physical environments, what temperatures, what climates, what places, all of these aspects are covered in this groundbreaking program that we've been running now for the past few years. It really is a next level uh, program that we have. So check out our epigenetics program. Uh, You can go to epigenetics.peakwellness.co.nz. That's epigenetics.peakwellness.co.nz. Or just hop on over to my website, if that's a little bit easier, lisatarmody.com and hit the work with us button and you'll see all of our programs there. Right, over to the show now with an amazing guest who is one of my my heroes, a hero from my childhood, actually. Now, I have Rod Dixon to guest. Rod Dixon, for those who don't know uh, who he is, um, maybe you were born uh, only in the you know the past 20 years or so and you really don't know, but if, um, if you're around when I was a kid, this guy was an absolute superstar. He is a four-times Olympian. He won a bronze medal at the 1972 Olympics. He's a runner, obviously. He... Um, 
won in the 1500 metres uh, bronze medal. He's won multiple times at world championships in, in cross-country running. And really one of his biggest successes was to win the New York City Marathon, an absolute mammoth uh, feat to do back in 1983. So I hope you enjoy the insights that Rod Dixon is going to provide for you today. If you're a runner, you'll love this one. But even if you just love interesting, amazing people, then check out this interview with Rod Dixon. Well, welcome everybody. Today I have an absolute legend with me on the show. I have Rod Dixon, uh, one of my heroes from way back in the day. Rod, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you on Pushing the Limits. Thanks for oh, taking the time. Lisa, thank you. And it's been, a, it's been uh, I mean, of course, I've known about you and, and read about you, but this is our first uh, first, first time and it's come about through the, the pandemic. So yeah, uh, some good things have come out of it. There's definitely some good things come out of it. And, you know, um, I've, I've definitely known about you sort of pretty much my entire, since I was a little kid. So you're one of my heroes back in the day. <laughs> so it was like, oh, wow. And the funny thing is we got to meet through a friend in America who just happened to know you and I was talking with them and they're like, and I'm like, can you introduce me? <laughs> so we're, via America we've come, but together, two Kiwis. So wonderful to have you on the show, Rod. Rod, you. you don't hardly need an introduction. I think people know sort of uh, your amazing achievements as, a, as an athlete and runner um, are, are many, and we're going to get into them. I think one of the biggest, most incredible things was winning the 1983 New York City Marathon and that iconic image of you with your hands in the air going, you know, and the guy behind you, not such good shape. <laughs> That's one of the, the the most famous images there is. But, uh, Rod, can you tell us a little bit uh, about your your story, where you came from? How did you know that you were such a good runner? You know, give us a bit of background on your <laughs> early years. Well, I, I think, Lisa, it started, um, we, we uh, I was born in Nelson, Mm-hmm. And uh, living out at Stoke, which is not, just not far out. Mm-hmm. And my brother John, three years older, he went to uh, Stoke Primary School. And so I would, I was in the um, uh, uh, in the uh, Santa, I think. Yep. And I, and my mother came out to check on me, and uh, that's all right, young Rodney. He's in the Santa. I'll go and take my shower now. And that was my chance to then put all the things that I'd learned of how to climb over the gate. And I climbed over the gate and off I went. Oh, no. And uh, uh, my mother got the phone call from the Stoke School, where is your son Rodney? He's 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 out the back playing in the sand. And she said, no, well, he's down here at the Stoke School with his brother. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Because we used to walk walk John down to school and and go and meet him to walk him back. And so I knew the way, and here was my chance. So I think, Lisa, it started when I was four years old. When I, when <laughs> you were escaping. I ran down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and your brother, John, I mean, he was a, a, a very talented, amazing runner as well and actually yes. got into it, you know, before you did. Yes. Tell us a little bit of his story, you know, because um, he was definitely a big, has been a big part of your career as well. Um, tell yes. us about John a little bit. Yeah, well, we, um, our, uh, my mother's uh, family were from Motueka, 
Uh, mm-hmm. They're all farmers. Unfortunately, they were tobacco farmers <laughs> and, and hop, hop gardens yep. uh, and, uh, and, and, and sheep and cattle. And uh, so we would be over with the family a lot of the time and, of course, a big farm. And John would always say, let's go down and catch some eels or let's go and chase the rabbits. And, and so we were on outside running around oh. all, all the time. And, um, and I think, you know, then we used to have uh, running races and John would say, well, you have 10 yards and see if, or 20 yards, 50 yards, and see if you can beat me down to the swing bridge. And I would try, and of course, he'd catch me. And uh, <laughs> uh, so there was always this incredible uh, um, uh, activity between us. Yeah. Um, and uh, and my dad was a very good runner uh, uh, too. And so we would go down for our when the Nos, we would go down to the Tahunanui Beach for a swim. Pretty well, most nights we could uh, walk and run down there. So he, mm-hmm. we would all run down. And then we would run along the beach to the estuary and run back again. And, and my dad, of course, you know, he would stride out and, and, and you know, just make sure that we knew our pecking order. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> slowly but surely, you see, John waited for his moment where he beat Dad. And wow. I think Dad turned around and came back to me and he said, I won't run with John, I'll just run with you. <laughs> and, uh, so I knew what the story was, that I had to do the same. But it took me another couple of years before I could beat my dad. But wow. So running was very much an expression, yeah. very much part of us. Uh, we'd run to school. We'd run home. Uh, I, did, uh, I, I would deliver the newspapers in the neighbourhood. Most of the time I would run with that. Um, so, and then at 12 years old, I was able to join the running club, uh, the Nelson Amateur Athletic Harrier and Cycling Club. <laughs> you know, there's three or four hundred in the club, and it was just incredible because it was like another extension of the family. Yep. And um, so we would run on farms and golf courses and 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 um, at the beach or at the uh, local school. Or sometimes the golf club would let us run on the golf club. So it was this running running club. So. The love of running was very, very in, in, uh, part of my life. Yeah. And you had a heck of a, 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 you know, good genetics by the sound of it. You were just telling me a story um, how your dad had actually cycled back in the 40s, was this, um, around Australia, something like 30,000 miles or something. Yes. Incredible. Yes. Like, wow, that's and, – and, and on those bikes on those, in those days. Um, yes. And uh, what an incredible – so he, he was obviously a very talented sports person. Um, yes, I, I think he was more of um, an, an adventurer. Yes, um, you know I've got the, we've got these amazing pictures of him with his. Um, uh, well, of course, in those days, you know, um, they had to wear uh, uh, knee-high leather boots. Yeah, you know, jobbers like Doctor Livingston. Wow, you know, wow, And so he was exploring and travelling around Australia, and it's just his diaries are incredible. What he <sighs> did, where he went, and. And everything was on the bike, everything. Wow. Um, you know, and uh, so it was quite quite amazing, that, that endurance. I think you're right, Lisa. He, he, yeah, built he had it. He had, he had it in there. Incredible yeah. thing. And, and, um, and genetically, and my mother was a, a uh, she played uh, basketball and she was very athletic herself and um, gymnast. Uh, oh, so wow. those, yeah, so I think a lot of that all came together oh. for us kids. So you, you definitely had a, a, a good Kiwi kid 
upbringing and also some very, very good genetics. I mean, you, you don't get to the level that you have with my genetics, I can tell you that much. <laughs> we're just comparing notes before and, you know, like how we're opposite ends of the running scale, but both love running and yeah. both have learned. So Rod, I want to like dive in now into a little bit of the, you know, some of your major achievements that you had along the way and what your training philosophies were, the the mentors that you had, you know, you know, did you follow Arthur Lydia's style of training? Who were you, you know, so um, take me forward a little bit in time now to, you know, when you're really getting into the serious stuff, what was your training, you know, structure and stuff like back in the day? Well, it's very interesting, uh, Lisa, because, you know, uh, in fact, Arthur Lydia did, in fact, incredibly, he was working under with Rothmans and yes. he would travel the country and he would come to the running clubs to teach the coaches, to, to impart his uh, principles and philosophy with the coaches. And my brother being three years older, I think he tended to connect with that more so than I, the, us younger kids mm-hmm. and but we were just pretty impressed and uh and Bill Bailey used to come uh he, he was a salesperson he would come and we'd all go out for runs with Bill and he would tell stories and we were fascinated by that and encouraged by it and inspired by it wow. so I think what John did uh as we started to uh, uh you know John would get 17 18 19 and he noticed that young Rodney was starting to um, uh, uh, our, our three favourite words, Lisa, is learn by doing. Yep. So I would we'd, would learn from this race and I would adopt something different. I wouldn't try – I mean, I knew – I mean, John would tell me, he said, you know, you've, you've run the same race twice expecting a different result. He said, yep. you, you've got to run differently. Wow. And then, and then we, I would go out training with John and then he would say, okay, now you turn around and go back home because we're going on for another hour. Wow. And so he knew how to uh, brother me, how to look after wow, me. Wow, what an awesome body. <laughs> and, uh, and so really it was um, as I started to come through, John realized that maybe Rodney's got more talent uh, and ability than I do. So he started to put more effort into um, uh, my training and balance. And that didn't really come till I was about 18. So he allowed those five, six years um, uh, just for club running, yep. uh, doing the races, cross country. I love cross country. And the yep. more mud and the more fences and the more <laughs> steep hills, the better I ran. Yep. Um, and so that cross country running, say I used to love running the beach races through the sand dunes. Um, uh, and I love track. I was fascinated with running on the grass tracks because of, you know, Peter Snell and yes. Murray Hilberg and, and also too fascinated with the books like um, uh, The Kings of Distance and, uh, and of course, you know, Jack Lovelock winning in 1936. And, yep. uh, you know, I, I, one of the first oh, things I wanted to do was to go down to Timaru Boys High School and, and hug the oak tree. <laughs> that was still growing there, over 80 years old now, Lisa. Wow. Um, that, because they all got a little oak sapling, uh, for the, and, uh, and that is growing at, um, still growing at Timaru Boys High School. Wow, so isn't that special? There's a lot of um, energy from all around me that inspired me, and, and I think that's what um, I decided then that um, I was going to, you know, take on the training. John asked me. And I said, yes. And he said, what do you want to do? And he said, and I said, 
Well, I just listened to the 1968 Olympics on my transistor radio, which I tell kids, that was Wi-Fi, you know. I mean, wireless. <laughs> wireless. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I said, I'm, I want to go to the Olympics one day. And he wow. said, right, well, you know, you've made the commitment. Now, obviously, during the training, I would say to John, would say, well, hold on, you, you took two days off there. What's going on? I said, wow. he said, well, that's okay. He said, you know, you set a goal, but we've got, a, you know, you, I've told you how to do it. So you've got to figure out what you're prepared to do. And I think then I realized it was, it was in my uh, decision making and I had to focus. So I really, there was very, very few days that I didn't, you know, uh, um, uh, comply, not so much comply, but I was, I was said, hey, my goal and my Everest is this. Is this, yeah. And, and, and this is what it's going to take. And that would have been the 19, so 1972? No, no, 1968. 1968, okay. 69 was when I really put the uh, focus on. Yep. Then we set the goal, what it would take. And really by 1970 and 70, or 71, I made the very, my very first world cross-country tour. And I think we're finishing 10th in the world uh, when I was just 20. Wow. I think we realized that. You know, that goal of the Olympics next um, two years' time is not unreasonable. Yeah, yeah. And so we started to think about the Olympics, and that became the goal on the on the bedroom wall. You know? And I remember I put uh, pictures of Peter Snell and Ron Clark and Jim Ryan and Kit Kaino on my wall as my as my inspiration. Your visualization. Yeah technique as I'd call that now, your vision board and all that. And and this was really the heyday of athletics in New Zealand, really. I mean, you had some, uh, or in the 70s at least, um, some some other big names in the sport, you know. Um, did that help you, you know, I, I don't think it's ever been repeated, really, the levels that we sort of reached in those years, eh? No, you know, it's, it's certainly um, yes, because there was uh, Kevin Ross from Wanganui, he was the 800 uh, 800 meter, 1500. Then there was Dick Taylor, um, of course, who went on incredibly in 1974 at the Commonwealth Games. But uh, Dick Quacks, Tony Polhill, uh, John Walker wasn't on the scene till about 73. Right. Um, so, but here with these, and we would, I, would, I remember I went to Wanganui to run uh, the 1500, and um, uh, at, at just as a, just as a, you know, 20, 21 year old. And, uh, and I beat Tony Polville, who had won the British Championships the year before. Wow. So we suddenly, you know, realized that you work class. You know, foot it with these guys. I can, wow. you know, but, but of course, you know, there were races where I would be right out the back door and, yeah. uh, we would sit down and we said, now, was it, was it tactics or was it something we weren't doing in training or was it something we overdid in training? And we just had to work that out. I mean, it was very, very feeling-based. Yeah, and very early in the knowledge, you know, like now we have everything is, you know, really, I mean, even when I started doing ultramarathons, we didn't know anything, you know, like I didn't even know what a bloody electrolyte tablet was, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or or that you had to go to the gym at all. You know, I just ran. I just ran and I ran slow and I ran long. Um, And back then, I mean, you did have some, uh, I mean, Arthur Lydia's approach, what do you, what's your take 
on that now, like looking back and the knowledge that we have now that, um, you know, that those sort of high mileage uh, training styles and what, what's your take on that? Yes. Well, John, John realized, of course, you know, Arthur was very much the 100 mile a week. Yeah. John realized that in the, in, in the terrain and I said, I don't want to run on the road, John. I just don't like running. He said, okay, so they will adapt that principle because you like to run on the on the country, in the hills, yep. all around Nelson. Yep. And, um, and so we adapted. And I think I was best around about 80, 85 miles. Wow. Uh, in the conditioning. Um, there would be some weeks there where I would go to 100 because it was long and slow. Mm. And now uh, we would go out with the, run, with the other runners and the torque test showed us how we were doing. Um, uh, it's at, eight, at 17, I was allowed to run the uh, Abel Tasman National Park. And, uh, and of course, the track was quite challenging in those days. It wasn't yeah. a, a walkway like it is now. And so you couldn't run fast. Yep. And that was the principle behind bringing us all over there to run long and slow uh, and just to get the, the time in rather than the miles in. Get, I like so that you, approach. The time yeah, that's so like, we, I still we use it. To go more with time, yeah. Yep. Um, and, time on and, and then Arthur would come to Nelson, and, and he would give John time, and and John would, of course, I would have to write everything down in my diary, and John would have the diaries there, and he would sit with Arthur, and Arthur would go through them, and Arthur was would give a big tick. He'd say, I like that. I like this. I like this. I like this. Are you doing this? Awesome. And, and because it was still the basic principles of the, the pyramid, where the, the, the base of the um, foundation training, yep. and as you go towards your competitive uh, peak, you're, you're starting to narrow it down and do shorter, uh, faster anaerobic work. And with, with based on, and we, we John, we, we just, Set straight away. You, know, you don't improve when you train. You improve when you recover. Wow! Why is Ben? We learn recovery and uh, and rest and recovery. And are you and listening, the, athletes out there? <laughs> you don't get better in the training alone. You need the rest and recovery because that's still the hardest sell. That's still the hardest sell for athletes today is to get them to prioritize their recovery, their sleep, their all of those sort of aspects of it, eh? And like you already knew that back then. So, yeah, you know. We, we, and it was, uh, once again, just remember too, um, learn by doing. Yep. So, and, and it's, it, it's so unless you're going to record what you've learned today, you're not going to be able to refer to that. Sometimes John would say, Oh, I noticed today that you didn't you didn't do this and this and this. Bring your diary over, and in those days, of course, it was a blackboard and of chalk, mm-hmm. and he would write the titles at the top, and then he would, from my diary, he would put under, he would take out, and he'd put under under those headings, and then we'd stand back and say, "Now look at this. There's three on this one, nine on this one, two on this one, six on that one." Yep. And we want to try and bring the lows up and the highs down. Let's get more consistency because this, wow. this is your conditioning period. We don't need to have these spikes. We don't need to have this roller coaster. I want to keep it as steady as we can because it's a it's an eight, ten-week uh, foundation period. Wow. So we, those were the ways that we used to be able to – and John just simply said, he would say, when you wake up in the morning, take your heart rate, 
for or take your pulse for yep. 10, 15 seconds yep. and write it down. And then he would say, look, he said, I, the work we did yesterday and the day before, he said, I noticed that there's a bit of a spike in your recovery on Tuesday and Wednesday. So instead of coming to the track tonight, just go out for a long, slow run. Wow. You and this was before apps and heart rate monitors and yeah. goodness knows what we've got available to us now to yeah. track everything. So what a what an incredible person John must have been like because he also gave up pretty much his, you know, potential to, you know, yeah. really to, to help you foster your potential because you obviously genetically had like an extreme gift. Um, yeah. That's a pretty big sacrifice, really, isn't oh, it? He was incredible, and and I, I just saw him yesterday, actually, and uh, he used to live in the Marlborough Sounds, and of course now they've moved back to Nelson, and so it's wonderful. I mean, I would always go down there and see him, and I used awesome. to love. Uh, well, I wouldn't run around, but I was biking around all around the Marlborough Sounds, Kenaparu Sounds, wow. uh, Palora Sounds, and 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 I'd do four or five hour bike rides, and he'd he'd say he'd say to me, he says now. How, what was your big thing? And I said, well, I saw three cars today, John, for three hours. And he said, oh, yeah. And I said, and two of those were in the driveway. <laughs> Gosh. So just Not amazing. That. I just loved it down there. And uh, But now he's back here. We see each other and uh, talk and uh, we awesome. go for our bike rides and we go for a little jiggle jog, as we call it now. <laughs> and so he helped you you hone and tailor all of this and, and really, you know, um, give you that guidance so that you built yes. your, your your really strong foundation. So what was your, your very first big, you know, thing that you did? Was it, the, you know, would you say that's the, the Olympics? And uh, Well, I think going uh, – uh, um, Qualifying, well, not qualifying, but making the New Zealand cross-country team, the world yep. cross-country team yep. in 1971. I think that was the defining moment of what we were doing was, well, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, as I said, 71, I finished uh, 10th in the world. And then um, and then John said, well, um, what, are we, what are you actually thinking for the Olympics? Are you thinking the steeplechase or the 5,000 metres? And I said, no, the 1,500. Wow. Why? And I said, well, Jack Lovelock, Peter Snell, <laughs> John Davies. And he said, he said, good. He said, you're committed, so let's do it. Okay. And of course, it was once I had announced that, then, then of course, I got all the, um, not the criticism, but the, the suggestions from all the um, uh, runners. Well, I think Rod's a bit optimistic about the 1500. You know, he hasn't even broken 150 for the 800 metres. He he hasn't yeah. even broken four minutes for a mile. You know, he's, he wants to go to the Olympics and he's, I think he should be thinking. And and John said, put the earmuffs on. Don't Good listen. Advice. Good advice. Keep focused. to the naysayers. <laughs> and off we go. And uh, – and then slowly but surely, I was able to get a lot of races against, uh, you know, Dick Quacks and Tony Powell and, and um, uh, Kevin Rice and that. And and, uh, and then uh, I remember in Wellington at Lower Hutt, I was able to break the four-minute mile. Wow. Uh, then I got very close in a race to the Olympic qualifying time. And then, of course, the Olympic qualifications. And a lot of those runners didn't want they they already realised that they hadn't got anywhere near it, so they didn't turn up for the trials. So John 
gave up any idea of him going to the Olympics. And he said, I'm coming to Auckland to pace you. And this time you will stay right behind me. And when I move over and say, go, go. Wow. And, and so that, because we've done a couple of these uh, earlier in the season and I could have, I sort of thought, oh, no, I can, I can sprint later. And, of course, I missed out missed on the time. Yep. But this was it. And so he said, our Do goal that. is for you to win the trials and to break the qualification. And, and he made it happen. Lisa, he ran Jeez. within one second of every lap to get me to 300 metres to go. When he moved over and he said, go, I got the fright of my life and took off. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't dare not after no. that dedication, wouldn't no. you? And, 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 and you qualified. You got. I won the trials and qualified. Wow. And, uh, and, and Tony Polehill had qualified uh, in his, um, and he had won the national championship. So he qualified, won the nationals, and now I've qualified and won the trials. So they actually, they took us both. And wow. that was uh, incredible. He was an A-grade athlete. I was a B-grade athlete. <laughs> a, you got everything paid for. B, you had to pay. Yes, I know that one. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, so then you got to actually go to that to the Olympics. Now, what was that experience like? Because a lot, you know, a lot of people. I mean, not many people in the world actually get to go to an Olympics. Yes. You know, what, what's it like? What's it like? Well, it was pretty. Uh, they're very again. So we we uh, under went to uh, Scandinavia and to Europe to do some pre-training. Uh, and, and, and in those days, we used to say, well, no, you've got to acclimatize. You know, you yeah. don't – I mean, nowadays you can kind of go and, and, and run within a few days. But in my day, it was three to four weeks you wanted to have. Well, and that's uh, ideal, to be honest, still, yeah, I reckon. Exactly. You know? Yeah. They, they were right. Yeah. Um, that get that time and you know like that that whole jet lag shift and the yeah. changing of the time zones and all of that sort of stuff takes a lot longer than people think to actually work out of the body. Um, so yeah, okay. So now you're at the Olympics. So here we were. But so the pre the, uh, and John gave me a written or typed up schedule every day, and this is with the training. And he had balanced it, knowing that. I was going to be flying from London to Aarhus or to Denmark, and then we were going to go to Sweden, and then we were going to go to uh, to uh, Dusseldorf. Or, and and so he factored in all the travelling, all the changes, all the and Gosh. and really a lot of it was I was able to go out there and pretty well stay with that. Yeah. Now and again, I realised that that wasn't going to work, and and but what he had taught me. I was able to make an adjustment and use my feeling-based instinct, saying, what would John say to this? John would say this because those all that journey we'd had together, I'd learned very, very much um, to communicate with him. Uh, any doubts, we would talk, we would sit down, and we would go over things. So it was, he, had, he had trained me for this very moment to make wow. decisions for myself. Incredible. Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he sounds like, yeah, like, yeah, uh, that, that's incredible. I'm just sort of picturing, you know, someone doing all that, especially back then, you know, when you didn't have all the professional, you know, team coaches running around you and massage therapists, goodness knows whatever else um, that, you know, the guys have now, yeah. guys and girls. Um, and, he also, too, Lisa, he knew that 
that I would respond. It would take me four to five races before I started to hit my plateau. Wow. Um, you know, uh, I found early in those days that, uh, you see, I, I was a strength trainer to get my speed. I came across a lot of athletes who had speed to get their strength. Uh-huh. And so what I was, I found that when I would run against the, the uh, speed to strength, they would come out of the, 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 the gate first race and boom hit their hit their hit their peak time. wow whereas i would take three four five races to get my flow going and then i would i would start to do my so my my rhythm was here and then all of a sudden then i would start to uh, uh, climb uh, my my everest you know i mean wow. i then knew and so John said, these are the races that you've, the, the uh, athletic, the Olympic Committee have given us. I want you to run uh, uh, 3,000 metres on this race. I want you to run 800 metres if you can on this race. If you can't run 800, see if you can get 1,000. I don't want you running a 1,500 just yet. Um, and so then, so he would get me under, over, under, and then by the time that three, four races, now it's time for you to run a couple of 1500s and a mile if you can. Wow. Then I want you to go back to running a 3,000 metres or I want you to go back out and training. Wow. And so great, really specific. Like, yeah, wow. he was very uh, unbelievable. But really also, good. too, at that time, I had these three amazing marathon runners. Dave McKenzie, our Boston Marathon winner, Jack Foster, who is the absolute legend of our running, and a guy called Terry Manners. And John said to me, don't train with quacks and all those other guys. Run, do your runs with the marathon runners. Wow. You see, and they would take me out for a long, slow run. Yep. Whereas if you went out with the others, you get all this group of runners. Yep. You'd all be racing each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. All don't this, race yeah. in your training. Yeah, ego, you know, <laughs> ego with the pecking order, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. when you ran with the marathon runners, there was no pecking order. Yeah, it's all about pacing. And, and, uh, and of course, uh, you know, you would, you, and I would eat with them too because I learned how to eat because they were better eaters than the other oh. guy. They would eat more carbohydrate and more um, organic foods because they, it, was, it was the long run. Wow. So I learned to do that. Um, it was interesting because Jack pointed out to me, said, now you see those two guys that were at the track today and, and they were doing, you know, and you were quite overwhelmed because they were your competitors and they were doing this incredible workout. Yep. And I said to them, I said, well, that's what I'm up against. Yeah. And Jack said, put it behind you. I want you to come to the dining room with us tonight and we'll try and see if we can sit with them or near them. And if sure enough, we there they were over there. Yeah. And they were talking and they were pushing their food all around their plate and they weren't eating much. Uh-huh. And wow. Jack said, well, look at you. You've eaten everything and you're going back for seconds and thirds. Wow. He said, if they're not replacing their glycogen, they, they won't be able to run very well in a couple of days because they're not eating right. Yep, yep, yep. So that gave me the confidence, oh, I'm eating better than them, so they may have trained better. 
And sure enough, you didn't see them at the track and that the coach had taken them off because they were obviously racing too hard. So yep. they were racing their training and yes. not recovering. Yeah, so don't be intimidated because it's very easy, isn't it, when you you know, yes. you know, start to doubt your own methods and your own strategies and you have I done it right and so-and-so's got it better than me and they're more talented and this is, you know, yes. all of that negative self-talk and you found a couple of guys to go, well, hang on, you've got this part better than they've yes. got. Yes. What, a, what a great sort of uh, mentoring uh, thing for them to have done to put you in that sort of good headspace. How, yeah. On the headspace thing, how how did you deal with the the doubts? Did you ever have like lots of self doubts? I mean, I know certainly I did. Um, still, yeah. um, where you don't feel good enough, like you know, what am I doing here? You know, I, I, the old imposter syndrome type thing. Did that ever rear its head in your world, or were yeah. you able to focus and? No, it, absolutely. So I, I, I mean, I would often, unfortunately, I could go to John with any question. There was nothing, no stone left unturned. He was amazing because he he sensed it too. By the way, being that brother thing and yeah. and, uh, and training, and he was very very connected with me because he would train with me and he would sense things, and he'd say to me. He said, oh, you're a little bit down today, aren't you? And he said, what's happened? Oh, well, I a bit of bullying going on in school and this or that, or, or that girl won't talk to me anymore and I love mm-hmm. her and that. And yeah, yeah. all that stuff, yeah. And, uh, and so he was like, and Mary and my mother, she was very, very on to me too. And she would sit with me and talk with me. And her mother, my grandmother, was amazing, amazing people. And, uh, Wonderful. And I will say, just right now, when my mother was 95 years old, she asked me to come and sit with her on her birthday and she held my hand and she said, you can call me Marion from now on. <laughs> and I said, wow, this is fantastic. And that was my mother's gift to me because I would always call her mother. I yes. never called her mum. Really? No, it was always mother. And... Um, that relationship with my mother was very, very powerful, and and it came through in my running, and 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 John would now and again have to, you know, kind of toughen me up a little bit. Yep. But uh, but it was an incredible balance. So I never had anything that I had I took to bed with me. I never had anything that I would go get it all out. Yeah. Gosh, and, you uh, and John would say sometimes if you're running through, uh, you know, the the uh, the Dun Mountain or tree. And he said, you know, if you, I know what you, you get yourself wound up. He said, stop, take your shoes off and hug a tree. Wow. <laughs> hug a tree. So, these guys <laughs> are just so like, oh, what astounds me is that yeah, your, your mum, your brother, these good mentors and coaches that you had were so advanced. And this is the stuff that we're talking about now, you know, like I'm telling my athletes to take your shoes off and go and ground yourself every day and go and hug a tree and get out in the sunlight and get away from the screens and do, you know, like all these basic sort of things. But but back then there wasn't that, you know, like there wasn't all this knowledge that we have now and they obviously innately just nurtured. It sounds like you had the perch, per, the perfect nurturing environment to become the best version of yourself. Yes, I, I think so, Lisa. I was very, very uh, – and wonderfully, even in the club, in our running club, um, the coaches – now, here, get this. Our chairman of our running club was Harold Nelson, 1948 Olympian. Wow. Our 
club captain was Kerry Williams, five times Australasian cross country champion. Yeah, yeah. And they cool. took time to run with us kids. They didn't all go out and race. Uh, you know, the club captain and Harold would come down and talk with us kids, and and we would run. And then uh, I remember Kerry Williams <laughs> when he took us for a, a uh, run, and he said, "Right." He said, now there's a barbed wire fence there and there's a gate. And he said, we've got the flag there and the flag there. He said, you've got a choice of going over the barbed wire fence or over the gate. He said, come on, you boys, off you go. And, of course, <laughs> nine out of ten went over the gate. And a friend of mine, Roger Sobin and I, we went over the barbed wire. <laughs> and they said, why did you do that? And I said, because it was shorter. <laughs> and, he said, and, he, and he turned to the others and he said, I like their thinking. And he said, you've got to have, uh, to jump over a barbed wire fence, you've got to have 100%, uh, you've got to have 90% confidence yep. and 10% ability. Yeah. And, 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 and a lot yeah. of commitment. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, so, what, that's a good, yeah, that's a good uh, analogy. All for little everything. things like that all yep. started to, you know, it was this big, big jigsaw puzzle and all those pieces started to make sense and they, and I could start to build that picture. And when I started to see the picture coming, I, I, I understood what they were telling me. And once again, learn by doing. Oh, another word, another thing that John had uh, above my bed was, a, was a, a, a sign, don't be influenced by others. Wow, that's a good piece of advice for life. I think I might stick that on my Instagram today, <laughs> Rod Dixon says. <laughs> Don't be influenced by others. And, yeah. and, of course, you know, wonderfully, all this I've, I've carried on and, you know, with my uh, program that I did with the LA Marathon and, and bringing uh, people from the couch to the finish line, you know, and, uh, uh, over, and, when, and I was going through, we were putting through uh, – I uh, started off with about five or six hundred, but I got up to over two thousand people. Wow! Um, and 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 basically, it's the mantra that I use for the for the for my kids program is finishing is winning. Finishing and, is winning. Uh, no, slow and steady. Yeah, you know, the tortoise won the race. Well, that's definitely been my bloody life history. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> finishing is winning, and the tortoise wins the race. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if you go long enough, and everyone else is sort of. Uh, stop somewhere and you're still going that was my sort of philosophy if I just keep running longer than everybody else I might might, might have a chance <laughs> um, it, it, you know let's let's go now because you know and I'm aware of time and, and everything and there's just so much to unpack here <laughs> I, I want to talk about the the New York City Marathon because that was pretty I mean so you did the Olympics so let's finish that story first because you got oh, yeah. bronze medal at the 1500 <laughs> Uh, yes. at the Olympics. Now, what, was that like a massive, like, life-changing thing to get an Olympic medal? Oh, oh well. I mean, you did it four that, times, but, you know, yeah. that first one. I mean, my, my goal, um, I remember it, and I've still got the, the handwritten, well, the, the written notes of John, and our goal was to get to the start line at the first heat, and if you can qualify for the next thing, we'd, we'd, you've, you've, this is it. Yeah. You've, you've, you're there. It's it's this is what we've worked for, and of course I I was I, I uh, and I remember in 1968 again when I'm listening to the uh, my transistor radio to the 1500 meters where Kaino and Ryan Jim Ryan the world record holder Kip Kaino uh, of course Commonwealth champion from Edinburgh 1970 um, and here was this incredible race and we were absolutely going you know listening to it. 
And it was incredible. And to think, Lisa, that four years later, I'm on the start line and beside me is yeah. Kip Kaino. Yeah, you'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. this is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then the next runner to come and stand beside me was Jim Ryan. Wow. The world record holder. And yep. here I am and I'm thinking, because I'd already figured out, you know, when we got the heats, I go, well, you've got the world record holder, silver medalist, and you've got the uh, Olympic gold medalist in my race, and only two go through to the next oh, race. Oh, man. So I'm thinking, hard heat. I'm going for it. But I, I never, I wasn't overwhelmed by that. Wow. Because, you know, John has said to me, our goal is, and I wanted to please John by meeting our goal, mm. at least get to the next round. Yeah. Well, uh, history will show that you know Jim Ryan was tripped up and foul, and uh, and I finished second behind Kaino to go through to the next round. Wow! And then, and then of course I won my uh, semi final, uh, so I was in the final. Wow! And uh, this Amazing. was unbelievable. Is uh, no be doubt like pinching it. yourself. What was this for real? Of it, the finals in the Olympics. Yes. And uh, and you you ended up third on that 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 yeah, race yeah. on the podium with yeah. a medal around your neck on your first attempt, um, yeah. and in a distance where the people said you yeah not really suited to this right. yeah. And of course, the what was amazing is that um, just just after we you know we got the medal and went back to the back and after Lydia came in. Uh, into the room to congratulate me and to Bill and Bill Bailey, and uh, they said, "I uh, said you realise that you broke Peter Smell's uh, New Zealand record," and I wow. and it was almost like, "Oh my God, I didn't mean to do that." <laughs> <laughs> Apologising for breaking the record. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm sure that you know that that that's just that's just epic. Um, and and then you went on to more, yeah, Olympic glory. Tell us yeah, from me what happened. Um, well, so, uh, so at that stage, we went back to uh, the New Zealand team were invited to the uh, to um, the Crystal Palace in London for the what they called the uh, International Athletes uh, Meet, and it was a full house, you know, forty thousand people, and uh, and I came up uh, and I I didn't want to run the fifteen hundred. Well, they didn't actually have a fifteen hundred. They um, they had a three thousand or two mile. That's right. We had a two mile. And that's what I wanted to run the two mile, and I was, um, and that was uh, Steve Prefontaine, the the, Austra- the American uh, record holder, and uh, who just finished fourth at the Olympics, and uh, and I I went out and we had a great race, unbelievable race. I won it, setting a Commonwealth and New Zealand record. He set the American record, wow. and that was just like you know now it was just beginning to think, wow, I can actually run further than the 1,500. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. You certainly did. Yeah. So um, we, we, we got invited to go back to Europe uh, in 73. And so uh, we had the, um, uh, 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 we called the um, uh, uh, Pacific Conference Games in 73 in Toronto. So I asked the uh, athletic people, can I use my ticket to Toronto and then on to London? Because I have to buy it and they, they allowed me to uh, use that ticket. And uh, and then Dick Quacks and Tony Powell said they were going to do the same. And then we had this young guy 
uh, called me and uh, uh, John Walker, and he said, <laughs> "I hear you guys are going to England, and would you uh, could I come with you?" And I said, "Yeah," because you know he had he had, uh, he didn't go to the Olympics, but he had, he'd um, uh, run some great races. We, yeah. we saw what was happening knew, with this yeah. kid. Yeah, and uh, I said, he said, "Now, do you get me the ticket?" And I said, "No, you have to get the ticket." And he said, "Oh, how do I do that?" And I said, "If you, if you can't you afford it?" And he said, "Oh, not really." I said, "Have you got a car?" He said, "Yes." I said, "We'll sell it." <laughs> and he get said, "Really?" So he did. And my reasoning is that John, if you run well enough, you'll get your tickets back again, which yeah. means you'll be able to buy your car back again. <laughs> And that was John. Put your ass on the line for what yeah. you want. And that's yeah. a, that's a, you know, because this is all amateur sport back in the yes. day. Totally. Did you, and, and, you know, um, it was hard going, you know, like to be a world class athlete while trying to make a living. And, you know, how did you manage all of that? Like, you know, financially, yeah, how the just, heck do you, did you do it? Well, I, uh, before I left in 73, I, I, uh, I worked full time eight hours a day. I did a milk run at night. I worked in a menswear store on a Friday night. Um, uh, and then, of course, uh, fortunately, I was able to communicate with uh, Vasa, Pekka Vasa from Finland, and he said, we can get you tickets. So the thing is that get as many tickets as you can, and then you can cash them in. Right. So then, you know, so you get the ticket. Of course, you know, there was a... a, 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 a uh, uh, you wouldn't get the full face of the ticket because you were cashing it in. But, you know, if you got enough, you got enough to get around to get and travel. To and, and, uh, and you did get expenses under yep. the IAAF and those were, uh-huh. you were able to get per diem, what they call per diem. Yep. Um, but by the time you came back, you you kind of hopefully, you know, you were, you were, you were uh, equal. You know, you, you weren't in debt. Yeah. So then you go back and uh, I mean, actually for the 72 Olympics, uh, a very good friend of mine um, allowed us to go deer shooting and we would go out every weekend and then sell the venison. Yep. And that was, you know, giving another $100 a weekend into the into the kitty. Into you know? the kit. And this is what you yeah. do, like, to sack them. I mean, I mean, I must admit, like, when I represented New Zealand, um, so I did 24-hour racing and at the ripe old age of 42, finally qualifying after eight years of attempts, and I, um, I qualified as a B uh, athlete. I did 193.4 in 24 hours and I had to get to the 200. I didn't make the 200, but, hey, I qualified. And then we didn't even get a singlet, you know. like we. And the, 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 the annoying thing in my case was that we qualified for the world champs, but they wouldn't let us go to the world champs. And I've been trying for this for eight years before I could act, you know, qualified. Wow. And I was desperate to go to the world champs. And then just on the day that – you know, entries had to be in at the World Champs. Uh, athletics, um, New Zealand Athletics said, yes, you can you can actually go. And I'm like, well, where am I going to pull $10,000 out of my back pocket, you know, on the day of closing, you know, so I didn't get to go to the World Champs, which was really disappointing. So I only got to go to the Commonwealth Champs in, in um, England and uh, got to represent my country at least, you know, because that had been my dream for since I was a little wee girl, you know, watching you guys on the do your thing and my dad had always been you have to represent your country in something so you know get your get your act together uh, <laughs> and I failed on everything and I failed and I failed and I failed and I was, I was a gymnast as a kid um, 
And it took me till I was 42 years old to actually do that and to, to but I had, you know, we had to buy our own singlet. We had to design our own singlets. We, yeah. we didn't even, you know, get, get that. Uh, and that was disappointing, you know. Um, and this is way later, obviously. This is only, what, 2010, 9, 10, somewhere. I can't remember the exact date. Um, wow. And so it's still the same, you know. Like you're in a sport that has no uh, money, um, so to be able to like still has to become a professional at it, you know, I managed to do that for a number of years because, uh, I, I got really good at marketing, yes. um, and, and doing, you know, whatever needed to be done, making documentaries, doing whatever to get to the, to the races. So like, even though I was like, you know, a generation behind you guys, really, it's still the same for a lot of sports, you know, it's yep. still a, a hard rough road and you're having to work full time and do all this planning yeah. so but a good life lessons in a way when you have yes. to work really hard to get there and then you don't take it for granted now yeah. what i really or i really want to talk about the new york city marathon because <laughs> like that's like you know they're probably like wow um, how the heck did you have such a versatile career from from running track and running these you know short distances at super high speeds to then being able to to contemplate even doing a marathon distance? I mean, the opposite ends of the the, the scale, really. How yes. did that transition um, happen? Yeah, I think you know from seventy three seventy four, uh, I realised you know. You know the John Walkers and then Philbert Bay and some of these guys were coming through from uh, the eight hundred thousand meters, and so I knew at that stage it was probably a good idea for me to be thinking of the five thousand meters. Yeah. So that was my goal in '75 was to run uh, three or four five thousand meters, but still keep my hand in the fifteen hundred. Wow. Because that was the speed that was required for five thousand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you realize that. When I moved to 5,000, I was definitely the fastest miler amongst them. Mm. And that gave me a lot of confidence, but it didn't give me that security to think that they can't do it too. Yep. So I kept running you know, the 800s, the 1500s as much as I could, then up to 3,000 metres, then up to five, then back to 3,000, 1500 as much Gosh. as I can. And that worked in 75. So then we knew that program. I came back to John with the whole synopsis, and then we planned for 76, uh, 5,000 metres at the uh, Montreal Olympics. Um, pretty well everything went well. Um, I got viral pneumonia uh, three weeks before the Olympics. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I haven't talked about this Didn't very much. Didn't realise that. It just took the edge off me. Oh, and, heck yeah. uh, of course, um, it takes uh, longer than three weeks to get over pneumonia. No, it doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> and you know, and I was full of antibiotics, of course. Oh, and, God, uh, well, it might have been four weeks, but certainly I was coming right, but not quite. Yeah, uh, so the Olympics uh, 76 was a disappointment. Yeah, uh, finishing fourth. Um, uh, I think the less than wow. the second behind the first. And it's then pretty I, bloody good for someone who had pneumonia yeah. <laughs> previously. And then I uh, went on back to Europe, and then from that point on, I didn't lose a race. I beat, I beat all the – and, in fact, in 76, I won the British 1500 metres. Wow. Sebastian Coe and Moorcroft and Frank Kimmon and those guys. So wow. I just – but so I – then I – focused you know everything really on the next couple of years i'm going to go back to cross country 
and I'm going to go back to the Olympics in 1980 in Moscow. This is going to be the goal. And as you know, Lisa, we uh, New Zealand joined the Boy Club. Oh, yeah. And um, we, were, we were actually in Philadelphia on our way to the Olympics oh, when our media guy came up to John Walker and I and said, it's just, isn't it disappointing you're not going to the Olympics? And I look at John and go, what the what? hell are you talking about? Yeah. No, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, New Zealand the boy joined the boycott. So mm. at that stage, they said, look, you know, we've still got Europe. We can still go on. We can still race. And I said, well, I'm not going to Europe. I'm not going to go to Europe and run races against the people who are going to go to the Olympics. There's nothing in that for me. Yeah. And uh, I said, I heard there's a road race here in Philadelphia next weekend. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to go and run that road race and then I'll probably go back to New Zealand. Wow. Well, I went out and I finished third in that road race against Bill Rogers, the uh, four-time Boston and four-time New York marathon winner, wow. and a guy called Gary Finale, who was one of the top runners. And I thought, wow, I can do this. This is something <laughs> I can do. I can. And so I called John, and we started to talk about it, and he said, well, you really don't have to do much different to what you've been doing. You've already got your base. You already understand your, your, your training pyramid. He says you've got to go back and do those periodization training. Yeah, yep. You've got to uh, and, and stay with your uh, – maybe if you don't want to do oh, – you've still got to do your track, your anaerobic work. And he said, and then just stepping up to 10,000 metres is not really that difficult for you. So I started experimenting, and sure enough, it was starting to come. And in those days, of course, you could call every day and go through with stuff with John. Um, I had a fax machine, <laughs> faxing through. Um, and then slowly but surely, I started to get the confidence that I could run, you know, 15K. And uh, then I would run a few 10-milers, and I was winning those. And then I – and, of course – then I uh, would run a few races, which, whoops, it was a bit too much downhill for me. I'm not good on downhill, so I'll keep away from those. Wow. So I would start to select. And then I started to select the races, which were ranked very high ranked, so A-grade races. And then I put in some B-grade races and some C. So I balanced them all around so that I was not racing every weekend. Yep. And, uh, and then I started to get a pattern going. And then, of course, I was able to move up to, uh, as I said, 10 mile. And I thought, no, I'm going to give this half marathon a go. So I ran the half marathon. I got a good sense from that. And then um, I think at the end of that first year, uh, I came back ranked number one road racing. Wow. And so then, then I knew what to do for the next year. And then I worked with the Pepsi Cola Company, and they used to have the Pepsi 10K races all around the country. And so I, I said, you know, I'd like to run some of these for you and do the PR and the media. And that took me away from the limelight races. Yep. And so I would go and do media and, and talk to the runners and run with the runners and then race and win that. And, and, you know, and I got funding for that. I got paid for that because I was under contract. Yep. And so I was then able to pick out the key races uh, for the rest of the set. And then slowly but surely in 82 when I ran um, the Philadelphia Half Marathon and set the world record. And that's when I knew, when I Amazing. finished and I said, now, if I turn around, could you do that again? And I said, yes. 
Wow. I, didn't tell any, I didn't tell anybody because that would be a little bit too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Richard I just himself. had to make an honest assessment myself. And when I talked to John, he said, how? And I said, yes, I could have. And wow. he said, well, then then you've got, we've got, we're going to look we've at it. We've got some work to do. <laughs> yeah. So he said, what we will do in 1982, we are going to come back and you're going to run the um, – uh, the pastor marathon in Auckland, and that was going to be my trial. And Jack Foster was trying to be the first fifty-year-old to break two twenty. Wow! So I got alongside Jack and I said, "Now this is my first marathon, and uh, what do I do?" And he said, "I said I see all these runners going out there and warming up, and I, I don't want to run twenty-nine miles. I only want to run <laughs> exactly like for the marathon. Yeah. <laughs> I need to do some extra miles yeah. warming up." And Jack said, use the first mile as a warm-up. Just run with me. I said, that'll do me. Yep. So I went out and ran with Jack. And uh, and then we got to, I remember we started down to Iraq and we were going through Newmarket. And he said, I think it's time for you to get up there with the leaders. He said, he said you're, you're looking at people yep. on the sidewalk. You're chatting away as if it's a Sunday run. Yep. I said, off you go. Yep. And I said, you really? And he said, yeah, go. And wow. so I said, all right. Because you know, this is Jack Pasta. Can't leave him. 1974 at 42 years old. Wow. Just, you know, Jack said, You can climb Mount Everest. I would do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're here. So, yeah, so I got up with the leaders and uh, joined them and out to um, uh, Mission Bay and um, uh, on my way back. And I was running with Kevin Ryan, actually, who is also to one of our legend marathon runners. And Kevin, he said, he said, you know, we're in a group of about four or five, and he said, he came out, he said, get your ass out of here. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, you're running too easy. Get your yeah. ass out of here. Break, make your break now. Yeah. So I said, yes, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, I'm off. <laughs> so I ran, uh, I ran, went, won that, and then that was you know, when I talked with John. That was wow. going to be uh, the guidelines that. Maybe not another one this year, but certainly look at 83 as, as running a marathon at some point. How did you work the pacing, like going from such a shorter distances and then you know, going into these super long distances where your pacing and your, your fueling and all that sort of thing comes into it? Was it a big mind shift for you? You know, well, like not to just sprint out of the gate, you know, like you would in a, say, 1500. Um, the, you know, the, the strategies are so very different. Yeah, well, certainly, like certainly those memories of running with the marathon boys in 72. And I, I went back to uh, Dave McKenzie and, and Jack Foster and talked to them mm-hmm. about what it takes. Yep. And then John, my brother John, was also too very, very in tune with them and he knew all the boys. And um, so we started to talk about how it would be. And uh, he said, so what I want you to do I want you to go back to doing those long Abel Tasman runs. I want you to do those long uh, aerob- aerobic runs um, and just long and slow. And they said, I don't want you going out there with your mates and racing it. I want you to just lay that foundation again. Yep. And he said, you've already done it. He said, it's just a natural progression for you. Wow. So it was it was just amazing because it just felt comfortable. And at that time I was living in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, and I would be running out all out through the Amish country and, and the farmland roads, you know, they're just horse and carts, you know, no wow. cars, 
Awesome. And, uh, I had this fabulous forest, Noldy Forest, which is state forest, and I could run in there for three hours and oh, well, I'd just cross, but I wouldn't run the same trails. Wow. I mean, it, you'd, you'd run clockwise or anticlockwise, you know. You'd yeah. You know, so, um, you know, just – and it was – and then – but I kept – I still kept that um, uh, track mentality and, and still did my training aerobically and did my – but what I, I didn't do it on the track. Fortunately, this forest I had, they had a road that was always closed off only for emergencies, and it was about a three-mile road. And so I asked if I could put little pin markers with some tape, and I knew that that was 200, 400, 600, 800. Mm-hmm. And I would do my uh, anaerobic work in a straight in line. There. Yeah, yep. Not going to the chip and pulling, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I would do the odd time trial at the track, uh, but that was only maybe once a month I would do any track work. And if I was doing, if I did wanted to do uh, a, a two-by-one mile, I'd do one mile uh, uh, counterclock and one mile clockwise. Yep. And I could run within about uh, 10 seconds either way. Wow, so you really got your pacing down. And then, and, and, and when did you set your sights on doing the New York Marathon? Well, it was interesting, uh, Lisa, because in 82, um, uh, I actually went uh, uh, to the World Cross Country. And, uh, and I realized that. See, I ran uh, 71, 73, uh, 1980, and, uh, and I realized that, you know, the, if I was going to run marathons, I'd, I'd get a bit back to my cross-country mentality. Yeah. So I went to the um, uh, World Cross Country in 82 in Rome, and um, I remember we always to sit around and Fred LeBeau, uh, the legend of New York City, because uh, he had heard about my marathon in New Zealand, and he said, "He said it's time for you to run New York." <laughs> I said, "I don't think so. I don't think so because Boston, uh, London, and San Francisco all wanted me to run a marathon there. Wow! wow. You know, I want to go and have a look at the course." So Chris Brasher brought me into London. I had a look at the course. I quite liked the course in London. I didn't. Uh, San Francisco was fascinating because. It, I loved the hills, but I didn't like the downhills. So, yeah, yeah. No, there's no, there's no go there. And Boston was too much downhill from uh, right. outbreak. Yep. So really, I looked at New York, and I thought New York was going to be probably my best marathon mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to connect to it emotionally, yes. physically, spiritually, and, and um, uh, mentally. So it was ticking all those boxes for me. Wow. Um, so it. 82 at the World Cross Country, I said to Fred, look, Fred, I will commit to running New York, but it won't be this year because I've got 40 more races this year. I will look at 1983, and if I run one, I'm pretty sure it'll be New York. Yep. And I said, and he said, well, how how do I put that all together? And I said, all right, I'll tell you what, Fred, if I meddle here at the World Cross Country, if I get first, second, or third, I will run the New York Marathon. And I thought to myself, I'm just saying that. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm and coming into the finish shoot third. <laughs> and, you know, we're coming into the finish shoot, and there's, there's somebody standing right in the middle of the finish shoot. And I thought, what the hell were you doing? And as I got closer, it was Fred. 
<laughs> saying, <laughs> you're coming, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I said, it'll be 1983, Fred. So I made the commitment to him then. Wow. Uh, but I said, I will come to New York Marathon in 82 and watch. Yep. And get a feeling of yeah. what it's all about. And, uh, of course, in those, and that was uh, when uh, uh, Gomez and Salazar had this unbelievable race and uh, right down to the finish line. And I was, I remember I went out and ran on in Central Park the next morning, Sunday, uh, Monday morning, and I came across the finish line and I stood there. And, of course, it was still there, but I was yeah, like you're in the morning. Yeah. And I, and I look up and I go, this is me. I can see myself here. <laughs> <laughs> You're visualizing, getting yourself ready. <laughs> and, I, and it was funny because I actually, you know what Arnold, Arnold, we always say Arnold, and I stood there and I get, I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> and you were definitely back. <laughs> so the following year, you, 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 you spend this year preparing solely for New York? Yeah, so I, I came back to New Zealand and, uh, and, and I did a few, um, uh, what they call I think it was called the Pasta Series of Races. We did a few uh, um, road races. And that was about mainly to come back to New Zealand for, for summer training and preparation. And then when I went back, I, I said, well, by this stage, I had my whole schedule. And this was the first time in my life, Lisa, that I actually had a program uh, designed for one race. One race, yeah. And that was going to be. Now, these races here in between were part of that journey. Yep, There's just build-up races. Over and under races. And so, um, and John said, if you're going to be serious about this, you've got to train. Yep. No, there are no distractions. You focus. And what was incredible is when I committed to that first day, I felt, and as I'd been hugely influenced by Sir Edmund Hillary in my life, and, uh, and SEP, uh, the, the um, uh, Mount Everest, you know, the, the yeah, camp, that's your yeah, yep, base camps. Yeah, and uh, so I, I here I was now for the first time in my life, you know, kind of like blinkers on tunnel vision. One yeah, one focus. thing. You got to get up this mountain. <laughs> running and, and and writing that diary every day, and it didn't become obsessive, but it became very very much my goal orientation. Yep. And what was I could see each month is that I was going up the mountain. I was climbing up. I wasn't having those fallbacks. Wow. And it just kept going. And, and the blocks were, you know, building that. Um, oh, you must have incredible genetics, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. And you've got a decade or more of actual base behind you now yes. and experience and at racing at this high level. Yeah. And everything was sort of coming together. It was. It was incredible. And the time trials. And I remember I said to my brother, John, I called him up. I said, you've got a 3,000-meter time trial for me here. But I said, I want to run the mile. And he said, what's your reasoning? And I said, I don't know. John, everything is right. Everything is done. I've done everything. I've got all the ticks. Everything, all the ducks are in a row. And, and he said, he said, so what's the draw? And I said, I don't know. It just goes back to 72, I guess. It goes back to the magic of the mile. Mm-hmm. It goes back to Snell. It goes back to Bannister. It goes back to Lovelock. I said, it's all part of my journey. Yep. And he said, good boy. 
go out and run that mile. Yep. So I went answer. down to the local high school track. I had my mate come with me and I said, I will warm up and when I'm ready, I will let you know and you click the watch. Don't give me splits. I'm just going to go out there and run feeling-based. And I said, I'll come back. And I said, don't call out the time. I will come to you, and that's when you tell me the time. Yep. I went out there, and I did everything as I would have done in the 70s. And I came, and I ran, and I felt just right. And I came across the line, and, of course, I came over to him, and I said, um, he said, what do you think you ran? I said, I ran very close to 4142. I think uh, maybe, yeah. And he said, how about 358.7? <laughs> well, I said, that's yes. it. <laughs> Nothing else to be done. Sub four minute and you're preparing for a marathon. So that's just insane. So oh, we're going to have to wrap up in a few minutes. So we're going to get to the actual bloody, the, the, the day of the race. And, you know, I was reading one of your articles and you were talking about, you didn't go in the, you know, the elite athletes limos that they put on. and <laughs> You went in the public transport. What was all that about? Well, I just, I just, well, you know, I, I, all those years where you, you know, you with the, you, the runners who compete, and, and and very few of them I bore you, you know. And you think, yeah. what's what's with this tension? What's, it's only a race. It's not the end of life. <laughs> Good attitude. So I thought, oh, well, you know, and 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 I remember because you know I went to the expo and I saw the enthusiasm and I yep. saw everything going on and I just was fascinated by all these people. You know, this is my first marathon, really international marathon. Yeah, and I was fascinated. And, and Fred said, well, then the limo will pick you up. And I said, no, I'm going out on the bus. He said, oh, you can't go on the bus. I said, I'm going. And I did. And wow. I loved it because there were coffee drinkers and bagel eaters and donut <laughs> eaters. And, and they all had stories. On the way to the marathon. I had to put up. And I just listened to this and I laughed all the way out. And they had no idea who was sitting next to them, really. That's <laughs> yeah. classic. Yeah. And, and, and you know, um, did, so did you do that to protect your mindset, really, so that you didn't yeah, see think, the other guys or just yeah. because you wanted to be one of the crew? And yeah, I just I thought this is about me. It's not about anybody else. Yeah, that's a good lesson for everything, guys. Just block out everybody else and do your thing. Yeah. Set your and, and so now you're at the start line of the New York Marathon. How did, how did the day go? We know the outcome, but I actually set my time, at, uh, my goal, of two hours and nine minutes. Yep. And so I, I put Same I for me. I just didn't, didn't have any time. I didn't have watches or anything on those. And so I, I did my five-mile split, my 10-mile split, my 13-mile split, my 18-mile split, and my 23-mile split. So those those were my splits, and that's what I kind of wanted to go through. Wow. And it was, it was, once again, Lisa, don't be influenced by others. Yes. So I went out there running my race within a race. Perfect. And I stayed with these splits, and it was amazing. The first five mile, I went through within two seconds. Wow, you've had such expertise now at this. Yeah, ten miles. I was I, I was two seconds under. It was just, wow. un- and of course, you look down there and you look at the clock and you go, "Whoa!" So yeah. you're getting a shot of adrenaline every right. time. You're hitting your mark. Yeah. Now the leaders were ahead of me. Yeah, but I I 
and had the blinker. I didn't. I didn't, you didn't care. No. Once again, don't be influenced by others. Yep. Run your Run race. Run your race. Oh, this is such, such gold lessons you're sharing here. <laughs> so it's just amazing. And that and that's how it just progressed. And, and of course, uh, uh, coming off the Verrazano Bridge onto First Avenue and the roar of the crowd was just incredible. I, I mean, every hair on my body stood up. It was wow. so exciting. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I could see the leaders up. And I was slowly catching some of them. And, um, and then, I, of course, you know, I knew where the leader was because of the lead car with the flashing lights. So I couldn't quite see him, but I could see where he was. Mm-hmm. And people were calling out, oh, you're two minutes behind. And I go, that's not two minutes. No. <laughs> but, but, you know, oh, you're only 20 seconds behind. You know, so you can't be influenced by them. No, don't listen you know, to them. <laughs> once again, back to my goals. And uh, then I came, I remember at about 20 miles, I came around the court and it was started to rain now. Oh, wow. And I was where I always had, I created three pair of shoes, a very slick uh, a, a, a shoe, an intermediate and a wet, a full wet weather shoe. And I went for the intermediate, not yep. believing it was going to rain. Get really, yep. What was happening is when it starts to rain in New York City, you know, the the oil is on the road. Very slick, yeah. Quite slick. And the white lines are even more. It was like ice. So I had to be very careful where I was going. And, of course, you'd see the road and you'd be running and you'd get in a, in a, in a bit of a pothole and you'd wow. go down. And so oh, God. I had to be very careful. And I came around one corner and I just slipped a little bit and I felt my hamstring twinge. Oh, oh, oh. So I... Uh, I had to slow down, shorten my stride, and wonderfully I was able to just do some acupressure. And a couple of times I didn't quite get it, but I got one where just you could feel the whole release. Oh, and wow. I, oh, my gosh. That was I lucky. Did. Yeah. It doesn't it usually happen. Enough. You're usually like struggling for, you know, like, urgh, urgh. <laughs> so, um, and then, of course, the at that point, 20 to 23 uh, little short roads, and of course, I'd come around the corner looking up, and there was there's nothing there. So, <sighs> out of sight, out of mind, you know. Yep. And, and I and and then I'd come around another corner, and I'd just see them, and they'd go around the corner. And then once we got into Central Park, the it was a bit more open, and yep. I could start to see him. You see where yeah. he was. Yeah, and then I. Were you in second place at this point? Yes, I was now yep. into second. Wow, and. Um, uh, now I'm not very good at maths. I'm good at math. It's at school. At school, I got 23 percent. Uh, the teacher said he gave me three uh, percent because I spelt my name right. So, um, so, but what I do understand is that I'm getting the times and where he is and the miles, and I think I'm going to run out of distance. Yeah, I'm only catching him at three seconds. Yeah. So and he's, he's got, 20 seconds ahead. Yeah, he's got to slow down. And I thought, well, I can't really rely on him slowing down. So what else can I do? And I thought to myself, I've got to start running the shortest route. I've got to start running my tangents. Better yeah, my yeah, yeah. Yep. And the good thing is what I did see is that he was still, in those days they had the, the blue line for the marathon, it was in the middle of the road. Right. And... He was running, he was running the blue line. Wow. So I realized that I've got 
and I might have another 30, 40 corners. And if I could pick him up one or two seconds. One metres, two metres, yep. There's, there's the 80, there's the, uh, there's the minute behind. Wow. So don't try and go any faster. Stay within your rhythm. Don't think anything more than just running the tangents and running and staying within your ability. And then slowly but surely another corner and I could see us catching. Wow. Slowly. And then the, the, there's a bit of a rise up to uh, Columbus Circle. And I noticed he was in the middle of the road, which is the, the apex of, and I yep. stayed low. Uh huh. And then I sat down low and I pumped my arms more, shortened my stride. Wow. More into it. Gosh. So I was not, I didn't look like a runner. I looked like a mountaineer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got up into Columbus Circle and into the park, and here he was. He was only 100 yards ahead of me. Wow. And so then I realized, I wonder if he is actually waiting for me to catch him before he speeds up. So I was – and I I realized he was still in the middle of the – and here was this nice turn, the right turn. I went down through the apex, and as soon as I got along his peripheral, I went as hard as I could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that he got the shock. He got the shock because you were, like, just suddenly and powerfully going past him. Yes. And yeah. he wasn't looking around either too. Right. Okay? I mean, I – you know, the – uh, motor racing, they have side mirrors so they can see what's going on behind. Yeah, yeah, and you guys I, can't. Now and again, you know, I would always go around yep. the corner and just glance back. Yep. I want to know what's going on. Yeah. I don't want, you know, so he wasn't looking around, he wasn't really running the tangents, so I realised that these wow. are pluses for me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's a game of plus and minus. So. Gosh, and you were just like every like I love this mentality of like what can I do in this situation where I cannot go faster? What can I do to 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 stay? Because a lot of people would break at that point. Like he's a hundred meters ahead of me. I've only got this. I'm not going to make it, you know. And you you got that negative self talk going. And obviously you're like, mm, what can I do here? Yes. So your brain obviously goes to. Where's a, where's a around the obstacle solution here? You know, yes. What can I do? That's brilliant. Well, I learned all that in my road racing. Uh, yeah. Uh, that uh, that uh, I I knew that sometimes you just can't run away from people, but you can find out their vulnerable moment. And when they would come into a hill, they would hesitate because they look at the hill, mm. and that's when you try and get five or six wow. yards while yeah, they're yeah, trying yeah. to figure out. Yeah, yeah. And you do those things. And and then if you so I would always if I got a hundred yards or fifty yards on a runner I'd say right now settle back down again you got that quite easy I'm going to make I I did that and I spent twenty percent of my energy to get that I'm going to make you spend eighty percent to get it back Wow so I'd let them come back up to me and then I would go again and that would mentally bust them. So I was able to play with things. and That's gold. And, and when I – sometimes I would be running and I would say, okay, I'm going to run the, this – I'm not they're expecting me to run this tangent, but I actually I'm not going to do that because that tangent takes you up a little bit of a hill. I'm going to go a little bit longer around here, but it's not as steep. So I can maintain the speed better rather than slowing down to wow, speed Wow, you're out. the master at strategy, eh? <laughs> <laughs> runners would come with me, and then yep. I'd go back and they'd come with me. And I realised 
they're doing exactly what I want them to do. They're running my race. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to be in my race. Uh, yeah, yeah, because you've got this all sussed for your particular set of talents and skills. And so coming down that last that last bit there where, you know, you've got them in your sights now, what was that feeling like? Did you have that feeling, like, I'm, I've got, I'm going to do this, I'm go, I've got this guy? And did you break him as you went past him? Well, I think I think what I, I knew that everything I'd been thinking and doing and planning or, or running was it, it got me to this point. Now I've got to kind of shock him or, mm-hmm. or give him something that, and in fact, if you watch the tape, when I do go past him, he threw his head back. Yeah. Now I didn't see that, but I sensed. Yeah. It was, he he got a fright. Yeah. And and so and of course in the next turn it's, it's, it's uh, one hundred fifty meters. Yeah. And but, yeah, but I was running logically yeah. <laughs> broken still, somewhat. Yeah. yeah. Is he going to come back for me? But I just had a lot, slight glance as we did the right turn, and I could see that. And I saw the finish line. I said, "He's not going to get me between here and there." Wow. And of course, I'm full of adrenaline. Yes, that this is amazing. <laughs> You're just overcome, and he's got that psychological brokenness of seeing you yes. fly past when he's led the race the whole way. That's harsh. That's <laughs> harsh. Coming around, and I looked at the finish line. I said, "Wow, I'm the first person from Verrazano Bridge to here." Wow. <laughs> amazing. So, of course, across the line and. And and I remember, you know, and I went down on my You're knees right. and pushed, kissed the ground, and, <laughs> and I said, "I was here this time last year, saying I'll be back." Yeah, and <laughs> here you were. Yeah. It'll be back, and, and uh, did that change your life? Like, well, you know, like to win yeah. New York's just pretty, yeah. you know, like um, next level, really. <laughs> it, 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 it put the disappointment of '76 um, yep. into perspective. At the disappointment of the 1980 boycott, it put that, and I just and I realised, and and really, and at, at Marion, my mother, had said that sometimes um, things don't won't happen the way you want them. Sometimes you you know you're wanting this, but your time will come at another point or another time. And I realised then what she was saying when I had won New York that that was my defining moment. It just yeah. took longer than other people. Yeah. Wow. It's just, I mean, it's a pretty big defining moment. Not many people get to have a life like you've led, Rod. And, you know, like I, I do feel like we probably need a bit of a second session because uh, we haven't even got yeah. into the work that you've done, which is, you know, I really want to share about the Kids Marathon Project and um, all the other stuff, the couch, um, uh, what's the name of it, the, the couch program that you had. Um and, oh, the to the finish line. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's one. Yeah, yes. uh, and to share a little bit of that and the work that you've been doing since then, because I think you know that that would be um, uh, important topic in themselves. Um, but we're going to have to wrap it up today for today. Uh, I've got a yeah. mum out there who's like banging around, giving me signs yeah. that I need to go and take her out. So get her to her training. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, Rod, thank you so much for your time yeah. today, for your insights, your wisdom, um, and sharing such an exciting ride. I think the listeners will have been going up and up and downs yeah. with you the whole way. Um, and say hi to your amazing brother, John. I think what yes. what thank an you. incredible person to to do all that with you. So thanks very much, Rod, for, for thank your... you. Thank you for your inspiration to me too, by the way. <laughs> I haven't done anything. Yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs>
I can feel it. I can I can sense it straight away. It's it's amazing, you know, very, very different athletes with very, very different skill sets and very different genetics, but we both love running and we both understand the power of running to change the world. Yes. Um, and I think we can probably very much align on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, we do, Lisa. And thank you for your time. And, and I've enjoyed every second, every second. Thanks, Rob. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.